praise the Lord. So they want me to give my testimony uh, in place of the spoken word. So I'm just going to give y'all a little taste of my struggle. <laughs> so bear with me. I remember when I didn't know where my destination lied. I was a lost soul pressured by the world trying to shake my problems by getting high. When I came down, daddy still lied. I'm struggling, fighting, trying to keep my sins inside. But I was in the stick-up game. My flesh always seemed to want to ride. And I'm steady finding myself waking up in chains, tears falling from my mama's eyes, causing a hurt and pain. For the simple fact that a baby boy life is being drained at the same time she's praying that my unfortunate circumstance would bring about a change. I change for the worse. From the stick-up artist to the dope man. It's a shame now I know the Bible speaks the truth because it seemed like seven demons worse than itself than Cain. Manifesting itself through my body bursting out in flames. I hope y'all understand why I did worse of things because I was popped, and it seemed like Satan had me locked. Thank you. That's a little bit. Um, <laughs> uh, so, after all, all the struggles, you know what I'm saying, God, as you can see, he's a God of deliverance. He's a God of purpose. He's a God of transformation. All right? And I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful for him. And he's the reason why I do what I do. He's the reason why I am. I am who I am. He's the reason for the call. God called me to do ministry in this community like 10 years ago. Because at one, at, when he when he brought me out the, out the darkness into the light, you know, so I started praying and saying, "God, what's my purpose? Why did you design me? Why did you create me? Why am I here?" And then, as I prayed that prayer, God was revealing through uh, to me through Scripture, through His Holy Spirit, and through people constant, constant, uh, uh, just speaking into my life. And he, they were speaking the same thing from day one. I wasn't listening. 20 years ago. I just started listening 10 years ago. Well, maybe 11. And the call was to do ministry in this community. So, as, like, just like Moses, I'm, I got a thousand reasons why I shouldn't be doing that. One of my reasons was I'm not a Bible scholar. I don't know scripture. I don't memorize scripture well. You know what I mean? Uh, and then I'm afraid of who I who I, used, who I used to be. And I knew that if somebody said something wrong or threatened my family, that was possible, you know what I'm saying, that I could go there. And I didn't want to do that, so I was really fearful of that. Uh, so God told me that he wanted me to do that. He, he pressed it in my spirit. He said, go out and make disciples of these men in this, in this community. So I did so. And as I went down the block on my first day of ministry, 
it's like in, in front of 1546 building, it's like it had to be at least about 15 to 20 guys sitting out in front of the building that I used to stay in. And uh, I had also just had got a job for doing security for Good News Partners, so I had to also go down there and do security. So the time that I got the job, you know what I'm saying, and God called me to do, do ministry happened on the same day, basically. So, uh, so now I got to tell them that they can't hang in front of the building on top of all that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So God like had me in a little jam. But anyway, so I went down there. I was like, what's up, brothers? You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm, uh, my name is James. I ain't say Brother Jay. I said James. And I started, I was like, what y'all know about that Jesus piece? That's how I used to come off, right? They was like, man, you better go on, dude. Who is you, man? You know what I'm saying? You better go on, Charlie. You know what I'm saying? We don't know nothing about you, dude. Whatever, right? You know what I'm saying? They was using cuss words, so I'm not going to say what they actually said. So I'm looking at them like, I'm actually, I'm like, believe it or not, I was stuck. I ain't know what to say. I had so many emotions going on inside of me. And then all of a sudden, I just said, you know what? Let me go back home and fall on my knees and pray. So I went home and I went and I prayed. I said, God, what's wrong? Why? I mean, you told me to do this. You know what I'm saying? It's so much resistance, so much resistance. So he told me that he said, James, he said, you're going in your own strength. He said, you're going in your own strength. He said, you can't. He said, I'm giving you favor. You know what I'm saying? Walk in my favor. You know what I'm saying? And right after I prayed, I got right back up and I went out to that same building. And when I walked up, everybody just started apologizing to me. Man, I'm sorry, dude. You know what I'm saying? I ain't mean to disrespect you. You know what I'm saying? And uh, they was like, what you say? What you know about that Jesus piece? I was like, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sin. And that's when the conversation started. And then from that point on, we started holding Bible study in a park with about five men. And then it started to grow. So I brought the Bible study into my home. You know what I'm saying? And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I just invited murderers, thieves, dope dealers <laughs> in the presence of, in the comfort of my own home and, uh, around my children. So I, anyway, you know what I'm saying? So the Bible study grew, you know what I'm saying? And then we had like 20 to 30. It, it went up to like 30 guys tops, but we had like 20, 25 guys every Sunday for probably the last five or six years. So it's like in a two-bedroom apartment, in a two-bedroom apartment, mind you. So we'll, we'll eat, buy pizza, break bread, uh, chop up the word of God. So it went from there until, until then God started putting on my heart the kids in the community to, to reach them while they're young. So I started an after-school program in my house. Started off, I had about a good 10 kids. When, we, when, when it was over, we had 30 kids, again, in a two-bedroom apartment. <laughs> so after that, you know what I'm saying, like, God wanted me to do a women's Bible study, you know what I'm saying, and uh, that was a transition. Now my wife, Natalie, you know what I'm saying, hosts a women's Bible study today. So we got women in the community involved now, and we also doing job development uh, called Dreams Vision Works. Dream Vision Works. So now me and my wife are uh, executive directors and co-founders of a non-for-profit called C247 Fathers Arms Ministry. And we two years in the making, God been just making some great connections with some great people. We doing good on fundraise, we doing good on everything. We don't have no wants for nothing. And we, we just received a blessing from one of the brothers at Park 
you know what I'm saying, who's willing to put a down payment on a property that we can host the programs in, the job development, the after-school program, job development, and Bible study, a down payment for a property, praise the Lord. So that's my testimony. And I just want to give all glory, all praise to God, because none of this wouldn't be possible without him. And I guarantee everything that we do, everything that we do, and we also partner with UR Chicago, Kevin Taylor. <laughs> but every, everything we do is Bible-based. Our after-school program is Bible-based. Our job development is biblically ran. It's, it's a biblical structure for work. You know what I'm saying? The women and men's Bible study. That's what we do, Bible study. So everything we do is God-centered. It's the foundation is Jesus Christ. Amen? All right, so that's my testimony. Wow. You know, I was just sitting here during worship and looking at everybody praising the Lord and uh, I think about when I first preached the first week I preached up here and uh, I got up here and like within 30 seconds my mouth went completely dry I was like mm. you know and just how how weird it felt yeah because like people were spread out and it looked small and then today during worship I just was like man there's something about when you know the people and you know what God's done in their life and when we just don't care how many people are here we just we're just here for Jesus right because of what he's done for us and like every opportunity to praise him we can do it right and I see that I see that in you folks you know Paul told Timothy seek those who seek the Lord out of a pure heart you know and that's been a prayer in my life. Lord, surround me with people who seek you out of a pure heart. And when I look at this church, that's what I see, man. And it is, it is beautiful. It's beautiful to be here. It's beautiful to see my brother James Brown back there, who was my neighbor four or five years ago when we lived on Marshfield and got to know him back then and then found out he was here. You know, this is a neighborhood church, you know, a church for the neighborhood. You know, Coach Gordon said he was sitting in Bible study with his high school football players, and they read the passage, love your neighbor as yourself. And his football team said to him, he, they said, Coach, if we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourself, shouldn't the church love the neighborhood? And he was like, whoa. And so he, that, that, that's what, what got him thinking, if this church left the neighborhood, would the neighborhood notice that we were gone? And now that church has started uh, a health clinic. Uh, I just heard on NPR this week. Um, and uh, they've built, like, uh, I think, $40 million worth of low-income housing, all out of a church of about 200 folks, you know? And so uh, part of our vision here is to, is to be a neighborhood church, right, to reach this particular community uh, and, and teach them what it means uh, to be disciples of Jesus and what it means to do life God's way. And uh, when I saw you guys worshiping today, I was like, man, we're getting there. We're getting there, 
You know, Harriet shared her testimony with us this morning in our prayer time. She's got an amazing story. If you ever get to hang out with this woman of God back there and hear her story, it's beautiful. And, and, uh, and I, know, I know a lot of your stories, and it's an amazing thing what we got in the room. So I'm just excited how rich we are here. All right, I'm going to try something different, which isn't different that I try something different, but today we're going to do something different. I'm going to give you five minutes. I want you to pull out your Bible out of your pocket that's in your phone or grab a Bible that's in your bag, or if you don't have a Bible, that's cool. That's all right. Nobody's going to get mad at you. We have Bibles in the back. I want you to grab a, grab a Bible, and I want you to turn to Luke chapter 8. And I'm going to give you five minutes to read Luke chapter 8 by yourself. And I just want you to sit, read it, let God speak to you. Um, So you may begin now. All right. So, we just took like about eight minutes um, out of my preaching time, which is making everybody nervous. Um, And uh, part of why I wanted us to do that is because I felt like God wanted me to have you do that. But what we just did is we took time out, and there was a cost. To that time and the cost of that time was my preaching time right and so uh, this is an economic uh, concept called opportunity cost all right me and my son have been uh, studying economics together I'm homeschooling him and so we've been doing this thing called crash course economics. It's really super cool, I think. Um, I don't know if he thinks so. I think he's starting to think so. And uh, economics is the study of people and choices. People and choices. And it's based on this concept that we have, for the most part, there are an infinite amount of wants and a finite amount of resources. All right? And so we all live with limits. And so, you know, I, I haven't done much preaching on Sunday mornings, and I'm learning all this stuff. I'm learning that if I go 10 minutes long, uh, then there is a cost to that with the child care workers, all right, and my goodwill with them, right? So if, if I do that too often, there's a, a cost to it. I know as a preacher that if James decides to spontaneously sing a song for 10 minutes right before I'm going up, that I just lost 10 minutes of my preaching time. And it's been crazy to, to have such a limited amount of time to discuss the word. I'm used to hanging out with people at the coffee shop, right? To, to, and so the economics of, of, of life are that we have limited resources. We have limited time. We have limited energy. We have limited money, some of us more than others. 
Uh, we have limited strength, and we are all going to die. So we have a limited life, all right? And so because of that, we have to make choices um, about how we spend all those resources. And even if it doesn't cost money, if I go do this, I can't be doing this. And early on, uh, one thing God was showing me in our church is we were spending a lot of time setting up and very little time praying. And God began to really deal with me about that. What is the, what is the opportunity cost of us setting up for so long and praying so little, right? That there, there was an exchange that was going on. And we, we started to try to get that back in, in order. I'm also learning when it comes to issues of power and justice and who's at the table that's making decisions that, that there's an opportunity cost if I'm taking a chair that somebody else could be taking, right? When you have a limited amount of people who can be making the decisions for a neighborhood, for a city, for a church, whoever's in the chair is taking the place of somebody else who could be in that chair. And so it's just even thinking about that has made me really think about if, if I'm in the pulpit today, who's, who's not in the pulpit today? And there's, a, there's actually a cost, not just of my time and my energy and maybe some of my money if I'm not working because I'm preparing for this, but there's also a cost of who else could be here if, if I'm not here, right? That's an opportunity cost. Um, imagine this. Imagine you've got a, 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 imagine you hear this story about a really generous neighbor who's very wealthy and, uh, and uh, they just really love their next door neighbor, okay? And so they, um, they come to him and, and he's got it's a, a wife uh, and three kids and he says, hey man, I just, I really want to bless you Here's five tickets to the Super Bowl. Plain fare to where you're going to go, uh, to where it's being held. And, uh, and, and I booked a room for you, too. Here it is. And he hands just the, the full package to his next-door neighbor. Um, and... Uh, He's not going to the Super Bowl. This rich guy's not going to the Super Bowl because he doesn't like the teams that are playing, you know, and he just, he just wanted to bless them this way. And then uh, the, the day of the Super Bowl, this guy is at Jewel. Uh, well, this guy probably won't be at Jewel. The guy's at Whole Foods, all right? He's at Whole Foods. And, uh, and then he's coming out. This is when Whole Foods used to be across the street and Evanston from Jewel is closed now. But let's just pretend, all right? He's back in the day when Whole Foods was across from Jewel. He's coming out of, he's coming out of Whole Foods with his $400 worth of groceries. He looks across the street and he sees his neighbor at the red box across the street at Jewel. And he's like, 
is that, is that my neighbor? And, and he's like, no, that can't be, that can't be him. He, he should be at the Super Bowl. And he walks across the street just to, just to make sure. And he gets there, and the guy turns around, and he's like, hey, how are you? What's going on? And he's like, dude, why, why aren't you at the Super Bowl? And the guy goes, oh, my gosh, you're right. I thought that was next weekend. All right, can you imagine? That is an opportunity cost loss, right? Right? All right? And um, sometimes in our life, we don't know the cost or the value of something that's being given to us, right? If someone's getting a red box on the day of the Super Bowl, when they could be at the Super Bowl, they either hate football or they just do not understand. I mean, even if they hated football, you'd sell it, right? And you'd buy a new uh, house, probably, right? Like, like and, 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 and you, but because they don't know the value of it, they're doing something else. And, and, and Jesus, all the time, throughout the scriptures, is always talking in economic terms, all the time. He keeps bringing it up. He looks at a rich young man and says, look, man, if, if you want the kingdom, what's up, Jesus? If you want the kingdom, uh, you need to sell everything you own and then come follow me. He wanted the guy to understand that the, there is an opportunity cost to follow me and you need, you need to pay it. And, and so... Uh, we have to understand that in the kingdom, yes, things have been given to us, but they still come at a cost. They come at an opportunity cost. Now, we've been going through Jonah. I am going to get back to Jonah, okay? And I know it's been a long time. We've been hanging out in Jonah forever. It's okay. Uh, John Piper preached on Romans for like, 20-something years, so, all right, we'll be done with Jonah in, like, two more weeks, so, like, bear with us, but, but um, what we've learned in Jonah, what we've been over in Jonah so far is uh, that God creates thrones, that he's the king of kings, and he's the lord of lords, and because he's the king of kings, we know that God has appointed kings, God has created thrones, and he has put boundaries around nations, so he's established nations, and he's established epochs, times, uh, certain time periods, the internet age and the industrial revolution and the age of the printing press. Like God drops knowledge on the world from time to time and there's going to be an innovation during that time and this new thing is going to be available. And God is in control of all of that and he establishes all of that. And so we talked about that God establishes thrones. And then we talked about that if you do not uh, use your throne correctly and you continually abuse the power uh, uh, that's given to you by your throne or you're neglectful with it or you're just simply selfish with it, eventually God will bring judgment on you and your throne. But he's very patient because God's desire is to rule with us. 
that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. He wants to rule with us. He's in partnership with us. He doesn't need us, but that's how he wants to do things. And so he is very patient with us and our thrones. And so Nineveh was the very first empire that ever existed. If you read historians, they say Nineveh is the first thing. It's the pattern of empire. Big, powerful city that takes over the world and then uh, assimilates people into it and, and has them pay tribute to it, all right? Which is an abuse of the power of the throne. You aren't supposed to walk into other folks' uh, house and steal food out of the refrigerator, all right? That's basically what Nineveh was doing. They, they were convinced that, that their God and their throne was the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And there's only one of those. And so we, we talked about that, that when God brings judgment, the only way to get out of the way of that judgment is to get off your throne. And that's what the king of Nineveh did. Um, then uh, Kevin preached, what are you going to do when God redeems your enemies? He redeems the person that was on the throne that was beating you up. How are you going to deal with that? That's hard stuff. That's very hard stuff. We talked about that. Um, uh, and, then, and then I preached on that, that God is a God of justice, that, that there are horrible things that people do to people in this world, and, and you get it wrong if you think God doesn't care, that, that God's justice is, is real. He will bring justice to the wicked. You cannot continue in unrepentant sin as a nation, as a person, as an organization, and not have God judge you. He will judge you. He will, at a certain point, that's, he'll say, that's enough. You've abused your throne. You don't get to have it anymore. In fact, sometimes God just wiped out entire nations. They just don't even exist anymore because they were so wicked. All right, but before God wipes you out, he almost always sends you a warning. He sends a prophet, right? Because he wants an opportunity for repentance. And that's what he did with Nineveh. He sent them a Jonah. And they listened. They got off their throne and they repented. And this bugged Jonah. Because Jonah didn't think they should get a second chance. He thought those guys are so bad, they need a bullet in the head. They're looking over here, boom, they're gone. It's over. He was upset that they got a second chance. And so uh, what we found out from there was that, that even though God's justice shows that he cares, his grace shows that he cares more than what we've ever known. That God's, God's ultimate goal is always mercy. His ultimate goal is always grace. And that his grace is supernatural. It's outside of the natural. Jonah's name at the very first verse is Jonah, son of Amitad. The word Amitad means truth. He was Jonah, son of truth. And Jonah was all about the truth. If you do this wrong, then wrong needs to happen to you. You disobey God, then wrong needs to happen to you. You worship an idol, then you forfeit all the grace that could be given you. God Nineveh deserves to die. I don't understand why fire and brimstone is not coming down and blowing them away. And so God 
grows up a tree next to Jonah miraculously. He sits in the shade of the tree, is fascinated by the miracle, and then God brings a worm. And I heard one rabbi say, it's like the worm is truth. And truth says, hey, you don't deserve to be here. No tree can grow in one day. This doesn't make any sense. Ah, and he kills it. And Jonah is upset. He wants to die because of this. And God says, Jonah, you, you fought with me. You don't want to live in a world without truth. But do you want to live in a world without grace? Do you want to live in a world without the supernatural power of God that can make up for all the ways that you guys keep messing everything up? And, and, and we don't know what Jonah says to that. It just ends right there. What do you think? I think, the, I think Jonah probably did repent. But I think God wanted to just stick that to Israel. What do you guys think about this? huh? Right? And God used that passage, man, to stick it to me, right? Because I was dealing with some stuff where... There were some folks I didn't think deserved a second chance, and God was like, oh, really? Okay, Scott, I won't have you preach on Jonah. Let's, let's deal with this, all right? And so what we found was that, that God's grace, it, it's kind of like if two people beat each other up in a bar and they rip up the bar, all right? They can repent of that behavior, but someone still has to clean up the bar, right? Someone has to pay to clean it up. And with our racism and our injustice and our sexism and our greed and our adultery and all the junk that we do, just our, the way we talk about each other, all the ways we mess up our kids and our spouse and our parents and all that kind of stuff, after we repent and realize what we've been doing is wrong, we still need, we have a mess to clean up still. And that's what that shade tree is about. That shade tree is about that, that God has enough grace, he has enough miracle to clean it up. And, that's what, and then Kevin came last week and he worked with us through forgiveness. He showed us if we want to be like God, we have to learn to forgive no matter how hard it is. And here's the thing, guys, because we have a God of grace, the impossible can be possible. I believe one day we will see rival gang members in these seats. They will look at each other and they will know they, they had something to do with the murder of their friend. And they will be able to live with one another, to walk through forgiveness with one another. There's going to be uh, healing between uh, hurt relationships in this church. And it won't be because we can do it in our own strength. It'll be because of God's grace. We've got to lean into God's grace and thank God we got a God who's above us who's got enough grace for us to do that for me that was one of the biggest revelations of the book of Jonah for me was realizing man this race stuff I mean, what, how do you put a price tag on what has been done in this country in the, in the name of Jesus and in the name of white superiority that one race has exalted itself over another how do you put a price tag? How do you pay back for that? The answer is you can't. You can't. We don't have a big enough bank account, but God does. Praise the Lord. He has a big enough bank account to repair that. But his bank account, that, that grace, came at a cost to him. It wasn't a cost that we could pay. 
but it was a cost that he had to pay. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For he has made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Do you understand? <laughs> it's one thing to repent, but just because I repent, if I punched you in the face, right? You got a broken nose. I can repent of that. Oh, sorry. I lost my temper. I punched you in the face. I'm trying to work on that. You still got a broken, you got a broken nose, right? And this is the message of the cross. Is that, is that someone has to absorb all that injustice, all that hurt, right? And that's what Jesus does. He who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God, not in our own selves. Not just because just because you repented, you're not okay. All right? Now, you can't, be, you can't just be like, I'm going to jump over repentance and get right to the Jesus died for me either, all right? Like, it doesn't work like that either, okay? Repentance is all throughout. Book of Acts, everything. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Repent. You cannot just keep, we can't keep doing it wrong, church, and expect God to bless it just because Jesus died on the cross, all right? We can't keep doing it wrong when it comes to anything. If we're doing it wrong and God tells us we're doing it wrong, we got to change it in order for God to bless it. But, but we didn't pay for the blessing. He's paying for us to be blessed, you see? And so the repentance allows us to find righteousness in him, right? So when, when they would... Uh, when, when they would go into the Holy of Holies, they would kill a lamb and they would spread the blood on everything, right? Like you read the Old Testament, they're just throwing blood on everything, right? You know, on their thumbs, on, on the furniture, everything. Like what is up with this, right? Well, blood belonged to God. Why did blood belong to God? Because life was in the blood. In him was life and the life was the light of men. God owns life. And so they used the blood of animals. It was like holy bleach. They put it on things so that they could have access into the very presence of God. You couldn't walk into God's presence unless you were covered in something that protected you from the holiness of God. And so they used the blood of animals to do that. But we, we now have a better sacrifice. Jesus came into the holy of holies with what? With his own blood. So we don't need animals anymore with his own blood, and that blood covers you. Why does that cover you? Because you can't walk into the presence of the holy God without the blood of Jesus covering you. All right? Now, that's separate from repentance. The blood gives you access. The repentance gets the relationship right. The, very f the blood allows you to even have an opportunity for the relationship. The repentance is you getting right with the one that you now can have access to a relationship with. Do you understand? It's, it's, we, we have to get those right because otherwise we got 
Every drug dealer I've ever talked to except one told me he knows Jesus and Jesus died on the cross for his sins. And, you know, he just thinks he's fine. That's not the gospel that we preach, all right? That's not the gospel that we preach. We, we can't have like a cheap grace gospel. Repentance matters, guys. Repentance matters. But repentance is not what makes you right. The bar still needs to be repaired. There's a cost still. And that's, that's why we, in Hebrews it says we, we have a high priest now. He says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. There's still a cost of repentance. So now we have access to the living God. We have access to the living God. We have the ticket to the Super Bowl. But there's a cost to take advantage of that opportunity. I can maybe get you into Harvard or get you a job at Google or I'm going to call some people, you're an actor and you're going to be Spider-Man in the next Marvel movie, all right? But you still have to show up to go to school at Harvard. You still got to show up for the job and you still got to act in that movie. The grace gives you the opportunity, but then you have a choice. How are you going to use your time? How are you going to use your energy? How are you going to use your money? How are you going to use your life? There's a cost for that opportunity to be a disciple of Jesus. Do you understand? And so my question to us today is, do you think it's worth it? Do you think access to God is worth it? Is it worth your time? Is it worth my time? Is it worth me not watching as many movies? I love movies, that's my thing. I don't know what yours is. Is it worth getting up early and being at a prayer meeting? Is it worth going across the street and ministering to your neighbor and knowing that's going to mess up your schedule from now on? Do you understand? Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. He, he said, take up your cross. The privilege was amazing. You have the living God saying, come and follow me. The cost was incredible. Take up your cross meant, hey, I'm leading a revolution. You know, when the Romans see a revolution, they usually kill the folks that are in it. Is it worth it to you? And so uh, it was funny, Stephanie, I told her we were going to, I was going to preach out of Jonah 1-1 today. And she's like, what? Are we starting Jonah all over again? I think she was scared, right? And I was thinking, yeah, we are. We're all of us always starting Jonah all over again. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of truth saying, arise, go. Do 
What's the cost of hearing a word from the Lord? Arise, go. Cost is everything. Huge opportunity. But the cost is everything. It's your time. It's your energy. It's your money. It's your agenda. It's your dreams. It's your career. It's control of your life. It's everything. And you don't deserve it. You don't even deserve to have the opportunity. But here it is. It's right there. And all God says is, will you pay the opportunity cost to be part of what I'm doing on the earth? Do you have a Nineveh? Has the word of God come to you? Has God put a call on your life? Where are you at with that? You know, there's a process that we see in the life of Jonah. The word comes to him, which means he's waiting on a word from God because that's what prophets do. They wait on a word from God. And, and there was a way that they did that. You see that in, in 1 Samuel, Samuel is prophesying with a team of prophets when David comes to him and Saul comes to take David away from him. And they're sitting there. They're having a worship service. That's what they're doing. They're hearing from God and proclaiming what he says. And uh, Saul sends these soldiers to come and get them, and they come, and they walk into the worship service, and the presence of God is so powerful, the soldiers start worshiping God too, and they start prophesying. Oh, God's going to do this, God's going to do that. Saul's like, what, what happened to my guys? And he sends some more guys, and they go, and they prophesy. And finally, Saul's like, I'm going to go. He goes, he starts prophesying, and they have a big, giant worship service. That's what prophets were doing. That's why David, every time he's in trouble, says, bring me my guitar. We need to start singing. I need to get in God's face. I need to hear what God wants us to do. And he starts to prophesy, and he gets a word from God. That's why we're not playing when we're talking about 9.30 prayer here. The service starts at 9.30. The service to God starts at 9.30. We want to hear from God. We want to know what he wants us to pray. We want to know what he wants us to do. Then we're going to start to praise him. As we praise him, he starts to speak to us. Pretty soon we're getting tuned in to what God is saying. We're hearing a word from God. And then what are we going to do with it? Are we going to go? I am. I am. I can't tell you how many times I've sat in worship services in this neighborhood when we were over on Polina. I remember one night I'm sitting in a worship service. I come out of the worship service. God's like, you need to go to this alley. I'm like, go to this alley. He said, go to this alley now. There's gangbangers everywhere. This is back in the day. Not now. We didn't have, nothing was gentrified. Everything was GDs everywhere. 50 deep right across the street. Right across the street down here in front of Brother Jay's old building, the one he talked about. The one he talked about today, where he started that Bible study. Get this, guys. God tells me to go to that alley. He tells me to stand in that alley. I grabbed, I br I grabbed Jim Brewer. He used to be like a, a gangbanger, white guy. I don't know. He, he's standing there with me. God says, start the worship in this alley. I'm by myself in an alley, a white guy. GD's everywhere. God says, start to worship in this alley. I start praying, God, you are good at the top of my lungs. God, you are good. I'm singing, I exalt you. I'm singing, the, my voice is echoing in the alley. 
presence of God is all over me. I'm like shaking, you know, like when you worship sometimes, you just want to weep. And God says, stop. And I stop. And I turn around, and a woman is sitting in the back, standing in the backyard up against that alley, tears running down her face. She says, will you pray for me? I heard you singing, and it brought me outside, and my life is a mess, and I need someone to pray for me. And I prayed for her. And then God said, turn around, look across the street. I looked across the street. There were 50 gangbangers, 50 deep over there. God said, go to them. I walked up to them, and I started talking to them, sharing the gospel with this guy. I walked away. I was like, whoa, that was pretty crazy. <laughs> Jim said, that's crazier than you know. The guy you were talking with was, was like the governor. He's... He was running a meeting for the GDs. You just walked in and interrupted it. And four or five guys were asking him if they should beat the, the snuff out of you. And he kept waving them away. You are crazy, Scott. You are crazy. Now get this. Pastor Darren and I started meeting. We were thinking about starting prayer for this church, 7 to 9 a.m. God told me that alley is important. That's the center of this neighborhood. That's where the spiritual warfare is. He directed me back to that alley. I thought about that alley. I'd always thought that alley was here. I went to that alley. I looked across the street. Across the street from that alley was James, James's apartment. Fifteen years before James started that Bible study in that apartment, God sent me there to worship him, to take back that ground. Does God have a word for you? Does God have a Nineveh for you? Will you go to it? Will you go to it? Guys, here's the deal. Luke 8, the reason I had you read it. This is something that happened to me when I was in that room, in that apartment, because that's, it was so funny. I told Darren that. He said, you know what, God, I was in a meeting with Good News Partners. This is after James had left. I was in a meeting with Good News Partners. I had left that meeting. I was just about to leave. The Holy Spirit said, ask if you can put your office in James's old apartment. And that's why we started doing prayer there. Because God was speaking, and while I was there, seven to nine prayer, because that's what God told me to do, by myself, most of the time, Roy would, Roy would come and join me. God led me to Luke 8 one day, the passage that we read this morning. And I, I'm learning this way of reading scripture where you read four or five chapters at a time. And when you read four or five chapters at a time, you start to push back and you start to ask yourself, why are these stories all pushed up next to each other? Why is that? And when I looked through Luke 8, I saw that there was the parable of the sower in Luke 8. And then I started looking through that chapter. I was like, why is the parable of the sower with all these stories? And what I saw was, I saw that Jesus is in a storm, and he speaks to the storm, and the weather submits to Jesus. The weather has to submit to Jesus. When he says, peace be still, the weather submits to Jesus. 
Jesus walking down the street. Here's a garrison demoniac. Dude's got 20,000 demons living in him. He can rip up chains and beat people up. And when Jesus confronts him, the demons submit to Jesus. And he casts them into the pigs, and the pigs go off. That's a whole other sermon. But, but demons submit to Jesus. So weather submits to Jesus, and demons have to submit to Jesus. Then he's walking down the street to go heal somebody whose daughter is sick. And while he's walking down the street, someone reaches out and grabs him. And suddenly she's instantly healed because she grabbed him with faith. And so sickness has to submit to Jesus. So weather has to submit to Jesus, demons have to submit to Jesus, and sickness has to submit to Jesus. Then he shows up, and the girl is dead. She's dead. And Jesus says, she's not dead, she's sleeping. He walks up, he touches her, and he raises her from the dead. Death has to submit to Jesus. So we've got weather, we got demons, we got sickness, we got death. But, A group, the people who own those pigs, the people who own those pigs, they came to Jesus and they said, get out of here. We don't want you. And Jesus submits to their choice. Weather submits, demon submits, sickness submits, death submits. God does not make us submit. He gives us a choice. He gives us a choice. That's why in Hebrews it says, the land that drinks in the rain and produces no fruit eventually has to be burned and cast aside. We have a choice. And so I believe what God is saying to us today is when my word comes to you, will you go? Will you submit? Will you pay the opportunity cost? Will you go for it? Look what happened because Jonah, because the word of God came to Jonah. All right? Because the word of God came to Jonah, uh, he had to wrestle with something he never wrestled with before. Because the word of God came to Jonah, a bunch of sailors on a ship repented and came to faith in the one true God. Because the word of God came to Jonah, God refined that word, and, and the king of Nineveh repented. Because the word of God came to Jonah, his own heart was changed and transformed. Because the word of God came to Jonah, the story of Jonah became the precursor for the story of Jesus. It says in Luke 8, that those that um, hear God's word and do what it says through perseverance produce a harvest of righteousness. Guys, it is worth it. It is worth it to hear God's voice, to hear God's word, and to arise and to go.